What's good, y'all? My name is Jonathan Dumas, and this is the Real Talk with Dumas podcast, where I have real conversations with the people I see every day because we don't know what we miss until we miss them. And I'm back with another great conversation. This week, I speak with my mom, Stacia. Now, my mom likes to say that we grew up together, and I was always confused, and then I realized my mom had me at 15. So yes, we definitely grew up together. Um, One of the things about my mom is that she is incredibly kind. Like she literally can make friends with anybody because she's so talkative, smiley, warm presence, just this infectious joy. But at the same time, she'll hit you with some truth that'll like set you straight. Um, But you actually like needed to hear that. And you know, it didn't come from like an ill place, but you're like, damn, that hurt. But at the same time, I needed to hear that. And so she has like a way of just delivering these lines that just like, oof. My mom is also one of the most determined people I've ever met. Just a determination that is unwavering. And we talk about that. We also talk about what it was like raising three black sons, the current state of America, and where we find hope moving forward. Now, because we talk about some police brutality, education gaps, a few other like headier topics, I'm going to drop in a little bit more than I normally do and give you some more context and historical context on some of these things. But just wanted to give you all forewarning. All right, y'all. Here's my mom. One of the things I'm most thankful for, you know, you raising us is just to have like this unbelievable, unshakable faith and hope like you can't tell me that I can't do this like if I'm doing something you can't tell me I can't do it oh, like I'm can. going to figure it out I'm, I'm going to make it happen like if I don't do it this way I'm going to find another way to get up there and That's do it a fact. like it just you don't see it like that level yeah. of determination to like make it happen some of our, I mean you know when we lived in Barstow mm. and it was like 115 damn degrees and I would have to go and get groceries uphill let me tell you some days I just wanted to I just wanted to die. Mm. I was like, this is so hard. Mm-hmm. I'm out here with three kids, with a nobody, with nothing. I was like, how am I gonna do this? Mm-hmm. Lord, I know that you said. I didn't even know him, Jonathan. Yeah. I mean, you know the lifestyle and the background that my past choices. Mm. So me coming to a place unknown was hard. It was, I mean, I can't even describe it. All I knew is that I had to get away from there. I had to get away from San Diego. Yeah. In order for me to be the mother that that you guys deserve to have. Because I I cannot tell you that I really know that you guys were gifts. Mm. I, I believe that in my heart. I mean, he could have gave me any other children in the world, but he gave me you guys. Mm. He gave you my. He gave me my three sons, and I was responsible for them, and they did not ask to be here. Mm. And they deserve to have a mother. Mm. They deserve to have a mother, you know, and so I made some really hard choices to leave San Diego so that I could try to be that mother without distractions. Mm -hmm. Going back a little bit to the story I was going to tell. And I remember some of the most, the, just the most difficult times in our lives and being, um, my beginning walk with God and having no other choice but to trust him. Mm -hmm. To feed my children. I've been in some pretty sticky, sticky situations all of my life, son, all of my life. And that by far. What are my kids going to eat, Lord? I mean, I, I, it would, it, I mean, I could literally go back to San Diego and do what I was doing and my kids would be fine. Mm. But I wasn't being a mom. I wasn't being a mother. So I had to stay. Mm-hmm. We had to stay. And the whole time I would I would use its character building yeah. exercise. This is the character building exercise. Do you remember what I used to ask you about integrity? Oh. Doing the right thing even when no one's watching. I've I've never had to worry about any of that stuff. 
well, number one, because I knew my kids. Mm. I knew what you would do and what you wouldn't do when you were sad and when you were upset, especially while you were home. And I know you guys used to think that I was just getting on your nerves, invading your space. You didn't have any privacy. You know your kids. You know, that's why I would invade your room. See what you're doing. I usually wasn't doing a whole lot. I yeah. was re I was really boring. You, you were, but I mean, you know, still. Like, really boring. I'm like, man, I don't do nothing. <laughs> but let me tell you, uh, when people ask me, what was it like raising three sons? I said, you'd actually be surprised. I was very fortunate. <laughs> I was, oh, like, I was, I was raising hella, three sons. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm not going to, that's why I know that you guys were gifts because I mean, yes, there were stressful times. Like, you know, how was I going to take care of you? Things like that. But you guys were the best. I could not have, I, let me tell you, if I had to plan my own children, I couldn't have planned them better. That's hilarious. I mean, each one of you has your own separate individual personalities. I mean, you guys are hilarious all together. I mean, we had a lot of 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 just fun mm. where, you know, there was a lot of laughs. There was a lot of hard times. There was a lot of tears shed. There was a lot of arguments. But there was just a lot of love. And I always wanted to make sure that you guys, when you guys came home from your hard days, because you guys had some hard days, you guys came home and it was peaceful. That was very important to me. Mm -hmm. That it was that it was for the majority of the part that we may not have this, we may not have that, but you can always come here to get love. Mm -hmm. There was some really shitty times. There was some really yeah. Yeah, but I'll but, agree with you. Yeah. you. you have no idea. Like I would do all of it again though. Like the thing is, like I wouldn't change not one, like it's not just, one bit of any of the things that we went through because like we did. It was char um, character building. It was character building. Like, I wouldn't be the person I am today, but we had so much fun as a family. Yes. Like, and it was, we just, like, made stuff happen. Like, it, we didn't have a whole lot, but, like, we just had so much damn fun. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah, it was just, like, not, it was nice, honestly. Like, I wish sometimes I just get rid of my phone, don't have internet, don't have anything, and just, like, sit I in mean, the house. I remember when I first made um, Sundays, the day where nobody could come over, and we used to, I used to make you in the beginning when we used to have um, board games. Mm -hmm. How was it raising three black sons? Mm. Now that's the question. <sighs> well, you know that because I am light skinned, mm -hmm. high yellow. Um, and all three of my sons are chocolate. Um, I was always too, too light to be considered black and too black to be considered white. So I was always on the outskirts, but I knew that you guys would have it a whole lot more difficult because you were black and you were men and on top of that, you're intelligent. Um, and some sometimes I, I I almost feel like I failed you because I wanted to shelter you a lot from the hurt that I knew that was inevitable. It was it was gonna happen. That's why love had to remain in the home so strong because I knew that you guys were faced with so many obstacles on the outside. Mm. You know, and I don't know if you remember, but um, I would always try to make you take your baseball bag and you'd be going right down the street to seven days. Mm -hmm. Your basketball, your football. And I'd want you to take it. And you're like, why? And you get mad and want to argue. Mom, I don't take this. It's heavy. It's hot. And though you didn't dress nor speak like just, you know, somebody that was trying to get into trouble, your skin color. I never wanted anybody to think that you were doing or you were 
suspect or I didn't want the police to ever have to stop you because I was almost afraid that I would have to give you that talk. I knew I would have to, mm-hmm. but I tried to shelter you from it for a very long time. And that was one of the ways I thought was a deterrent. You know, no, he's a good kid. Leave him alone. He's on his way to baseball practice or he's on his way to basketball practice. And for a little while it works. Mm-hmm. As we can see, not always. Yeah. Surprisingly, I only got like stopped like two or three times in Barstow. And the, I think the first time we were just walking to, we were just walking to the store. It was like late, but like all of us are over 18. Like it's, I mean, we could do that. Like mm-hmm. there's no curfew. And so we were walking to the, to the, um, to go get candy or like snacks or something. Cause we were playing video games and yeah, like this cop was on the other side and he just like whips on that main street and just whips and like, just has the light on us. He's like, where are y'all going? I'm like, we're going to the store that's right there. And I don't know if it was instinct or like things that I've seen in the TVs or like what we, like the passive conversations that we had. I already knew like, I always need to have my wallet on me, have my ID. Yes. I always know, yes. need to know exactly where I'm going. I'll have my hands where, you can where they can be seen. Don't make any sudden movements. And I, I don't remember a time where we had like a specific talk. I just remember, I think bits and pieces from like you, nanny, like we just to know what to do and how to act and just treat the officer with the utmost respect and just do everything. Even if you get hanged, just do everything that they say. Yes. Because I mean, we can always get a lawyer. Yeah. We can always get a lawyer. Just come home. Yeah. Just come home. Yeah. And like you, y'all would even say like, like if anybody ever asked, for your wallet or anybody anybody ever like says give just it give him. it to them just give it to them because you can get another wallet you can get more money we can't get you back ever i think all of those things have like like i've always stuck with me but in the, that moment like i just instinctively knew like this is where we're going this is my id that's it and he just like let us go he didn't like hassle us a whole lot but i think after he saw our ids or whatever like he just like let us go and then i think there's another time where I got pulled over and the guy said I, I ran a stop sign. I was like, I ran a stop sign? He's like, yeah, you just went right through it. I probably did. Like, I'm, I'm like 90% sure that I did. But I just had a really rough night. And I just told him, I said, listen, I had a really rough night. I'm just trying to get home. Like, I don't have that much gas. I'm just trying to get home. I don't have enough money. I'm just trying to get home. I just got out of school. I'm, I'm just trying to get home. He just looks at me and he's like, all right. And he's like looking in the car for anybody else. I've not given you any kind of reason or indication of like, like if you're going to give me a ticket or whatever, like give me a ticket. For like, and you don't, know. yeah, but you don't need to like look into my car. And those moments have always, always stuck with me. So I'm like, bro, like, get, like, leave me alone. <laughs> leave me alone. Yeah, was there like a particular reason that you didn't give us like, like a formal talk? Like, I don't remember ever having like a formal talk. I gave you bits and pieces. Yeah. I, I told you, um, so these are these were all conversations that we we did have along the way. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't one of those times where I would sit down and you know give you all of that whole spill. But everything that I was telling you along the way, be careful giving giving up the wallet, things like that. You know, if anybody so these are things that these were everyday lessons. You know, as far as there being a formal talk, every single day was a formal talk. Mm-hmm. So every single day before you walked out that door, I know you guys thought that I was just an absolute weirdo when I used to anoint your head mm-hmm. and, you know, talk to you and, and have little brief conversations. They were letting you know. Mm. They were educating. They were planting seeds in you so that you would remember these things along the way. Hey, y'all, just jumping in here real quick. You've heard mention of the talk, formal talk. If you don't know what that is, we're not talking about the birds and the bees. We are talking about survival. So for young black boys and young black men, um, this is a conversation that happens whenever they encounter the police. Uh, I think Amelia Thompson and Arian Thompson-Plord 
give it a little bit more justice. In their article, The Talk, Surviving Police Encounters While Black, they describe it as, it is about surviving police encounters, being aware of your rights and learning how to live within a complex, systemic, centuries-old framework of race-based prejudice, violence, and discrimination. The talk is akin to a rite of passage for many African-American children, especially boys and young men. Essentially, they are taught how to behave in the presence of a police to mitigate potential harm. No sudden movements. Don't ask questions why you're being stopped. Comply with all verbal commands. Never raise your voice. Make it home alive. All right, y'all. Back to it. There's so many moments I was annoyed. Like, why are we doing this? Like, I'm trying to go. Like, let's like hurry up. But I didn't... I think I sensed that there was, like, concern. Always. I just didn't realize that th- there was, like, a f- this fear every time we left the house. Like, yeah. I didn't realize that there was, like, this fear. Fear. Fear and anxiety that... And hope, almost, that we come home. Like, that nothing happened to us. And, like, looking back, I see that, like, that look in your eye. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever... Maybe because I just wasn't aware. Like, I think, contextually, I knew. I think all black people know, like, police ain't our friend. Mm-hmm. But I think the... I think I didn't know what you were feel fearful of. Bullies. I mean, there are certain women... Mm. You know, I mean, there are so many fears that go through a mother's mind and especially because I knew what was out in the world. Mm -hmm. So sometimes these little random things I would come in and say to you is because it's a real thing. It's out there, son. Mm -hmm. Be aware. Be aware it's out there. And I know that's why I say I know I know that you guys thought I was crazy, Mm -hmm. you know, but 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 as soon as it came in my head and I'm like, you know what, that's a real thing. That's something that they have to be careful of out there. You know, in the world, in the streets, you know, and I would come in and, you know, just give you just a few words. Son, don't forget. And if ever, mm-hmm. you know, because if I tell you that, then then somewhere along the along the way, you know, if you're ever put into that situation, you'll know you'll 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 remember it. It'll it'll come back in to play where you'll be like, ah, there you go. Mm-hmm. And in the in the in a smaller town such as Barstow. Mm-hmm. In the middle of no man's land. So there was nothing for you guys to really do. And there was a whole lot of trouble out there. Mm. And sometimes I think that I, I mean, I kept you guys so busy. And you guys kept yourself so busy. That I was thankful that you, um, you left. Mm. I, I can't even tell you, son. I mean, I was upset because you're my oldest baby. You've always been my rock. We've, you know, this is, this is, this is my oldest. We may not have always seen eye to eye because you've always had independence. You've always been very analytical. You've always, you know, but I, my oldest child, my best friend was gone. Mm. And you are my best friends too. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Well, you are mine. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. And, uh. I was sitting at work and I, I mean, it was like the very, like, next day. And I was sitting outside, right, right in that little strip mall. And I saw these young men walk by. And I mean, just looking at them. I know what it looks like when you are on your way to do no business. To do something you don't have any. And I wanted to tell them so bad, turn your little, turn around and go home. But at that very moment. At that very second, I knew that I, I I had to thank God that he took you out of this situation, out of here. And I, I prayed I, that you would never have to come back to that ever again. Mm. That you would always just be elevated beyond that. Mm. So the only time that you would go back there would be to help and bring somebody else out of that. You know? I was extremely proud. I don't know. I'm, I'm still proud of you. I mean, there's a lot to be proud of, you know what I'm You know what? So <laughs> I'm going to give you a high five on that, but sometimes try a little humble. <laughs> I think for every, well, I'll say most black people in America, the last month has been 
um, it has just been so hard. Like the level of exhaustion is just, I it's indescribable. Yes. But um, George Floyd was another unarmed black man was killed by the police um, a couple weeks ago, and I know I every single time I think about it, I get angry, um, I get sad, I get frustrated. I couldn't even watch the video. And I watched the whole thing. How was watching that for you? Traumatic. I wish I had me. Because that used to sit up at night. I knew that you were at a basketball game. I always knew where my kids were. I watched the whole thing. I'm traumatized. Because it was a public lynching. And because our the person that is responsible for all 50 of these states is talking about make America great again when America has never been great for black people. So obviously he wasn't talking about us. Mm -hmm. It's never been great. You give me a little bit of, oh, so now we can vote. Thank you. But our votes counting. I need to know. Mm -hmm. I'm heartbroken for his family and, and still in fear because there's been so many others besides Floyd because the young man that just died before him, Aubrey. Amon. Mm -hmm. Amon. Brianna. I mean, it's like they've opened season again. So when he says, make America great again, he's not talking about for black people because I would really like for them to name a time where it was at all great for black people. I mean, and I mean, it, technically speaking, because there has been very little consequence for the people that are supposed to protect and serve, you know, they're, they're not, when they fall out of line and you're supposed to be the one that we call to protect, if we take it back, though, son, they were actually um, slave hunters, so. I mean, that's how, the, that's how it started. Okay, so police, slave hunters, let me give you some context. So in a recent episode from the podcast Through Line, they did a deep dive into American policing and here's an excerpt. Policing has always been a part of the country, even before the United States of America was established. In the mid-1600s, there was the Boston Watch, essentially a neighborhood watch group. But there was also informal militia that formed to help enforce order in counties and cities throughout the colonies. But some of the first police forces in America were created to control enslaved black people. They would come to be known as the slave patrols. By law, all white men had to serve in these patrols. Solomon Northup writes in his memoir this about the slave patrols. Patrollers, whose business it is to seize and whip any slave they find wandering from plantation, ride on horseback, headed by a captain, armed and accompanied by dogs. They have the right, either by law or general consent, to inflict discretionary chastisement upon a black man caught beyond the boundaries of his master's estate without a pass, even to shoot him if he attempts to escape. Now, looking at the history of police and looking at what's currently going on with police, it's kind of hard to not see the parallels, you know, with the dogs mounted on horseback, kind of dishing out indiscriminate justice, quote unquote, to people that they deem doing something that they're not supposed to. And although all cops are not bad, this system has roots in racism that stem way back, and those things can't be ignored. All right, y'all, back to it. I mean, there's no real accountability. There's no real oversight. You're talking about how those police unions negotiate these contracts. A lot of them are just, it's just ridiculous. Like, they get anything that they want, and they essentially, like, all of their jobs are guaranteed. Even if, even if they get fired or suspended without pay, like, in the contract, they can get that job back. In the contract, they get all that money back. So there's no real accountability. So you're saying, like, the people that they're supposed to hold themselves accountable. Yes. 
Like that's ridiculous. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever I have ever heard of. Who's policing the police? All right, y'all. So I know I was talking about police unions and contracts and whatnot. So here's the bottom line: a union's job is to protect their workers. That makes total sense. But police unions, they take this to a whole nother level and actually can be detrimental. Police unions wield an immense amount of negotiating power. You know, police are there to ensure public safety. So when it comes to negotiating the language and contracts with cities, they work to make it extremely difficult to fire officers, even bad ones. We've seen countless examples of this, from the officers that beat Rodney King to the officer that choked the life out of Eric Gardner. They may get arrested or even charged with a heinous crime, but even then, even then, the odds are highly unlikely that they will go to jail or face any real consequences for their actions. Like, if I was just, like, good enough, right? If I just did the things that I was supposed to do, like, I would be all right. If I followed all the rules that y'all gave gave me, like, that, that we had, wasn't in any areas that, like, quote-unquote, I'm not supposed to be in, mm-hmm. that I'll be all right. And even to some extent, like, to have some people tell me, like, oh, no, like, you're one of the good ones, you know? And, like, internalize that as to say, like, I am untouchable. Okay. <laughs> the, that, this phrase, you are one of the good ones. This, this, this one. Um, this statement attempts to otherize my blackness. You know, when white people say this to me, they're essentially saying to me, from their limited and stereotypical scope of black people, you're not the bad kind of black. You're the safe kind of black. You know, you're good. You're the good one. When white people say this, they are minimizing my blackness. This is both dismissive and demeaning of the overall black experience. Me being black, my blackness cannot be otherized. And although the black experience is not monolithic, there are shared emotions, beliefs, stories within the black community. All right, let's get back to it. Like there is nothing, there's nothing I can do as a black man to ensure my safety in American society. Like there's no, there's nothing I can do. And so I'm forced to live in fear that my life could end at any moment. At the hands of somebody that's supposed to protect and ensure my safety. And then that goes, son, also with some of the, the things that, I taught you because you didn't just have to worry about gangs Mm -hmm. and drugs because the statistics say that you were supposed, you know what I'm saying? Because you came from a young mother, because we this, because that or the other, and because of just, you know, the place that we live. Society would say that you weren't supposed to make it Mm -hmm. to the level that you're at. Yeah. And then to think again, one of my greatest fears because I knew that you guys were good, good kids. Mm-hmm. I, I could not tell people enough. Like, yes, I, they're like, do you know where your kids are? And I'm like, I absolutely do. He's at basketball practice. He's at this, he's at that. He's at an after school program. Do you know that? Yes, I absolutely know where my children are. And well, you know, that was a requirement in my house. You know, where are you going? Yeah, we what time? Exactly. What time? Would it because what if I need to come and get you? What if I need to know where you're at? Mm-hmm. Where do I where do I go to find you if mm-hmm. something pops off? You know, every time I go to the first thing I say is, you know, I leave with everything I came with. Mm-hmm. And especially my children. Can I be honest with you? Yeah. If I told you that you can do anything that you want to do. Anything in this world that you wanted to do. You can do anything that you want to do. Why would I then in turn take that back and give you limits mm. to what you can do? You're, you don't need your mother to remind you that you're black. You're, you know that you're black. Mm. Anything that you want to do. Mm. So why in the same breath would I, would I in turn limit you? I am not the world. I am your mother. You were going to face plenty of obstacles in your life. And yes, I could absolutely. And I do. Sometimes I, I, I really wish that I had to put that slight fear in you. I, I didn't want you to 
ever believe that there were limits on your life of the things that you could not do. And I know that, you know, for some that may, it didn't fail. I believe that it was actually quite successful because, son, is there anything that you can do, you can't do? I feel like I'm pretty unstoppable. Here's the only thing I would say to that. I'd say yes to all of that. Obviously, we always knew that we were black. And to some extent, we knew what that meant. You never said, like, you can do anything and nobody can tell you you can't. But the world will tell you you can't because you're black. That was a culture shock. More so when I came, when I moved to Orange County. Oh, yeah. And and and, and another thing, be, be, like I said, because it wasn't like you didn't know that you were black. Mm-hmm. And why in the world would I put a limit? I, I just, I felt like that was the most horrible thing that you can do to a child. Mm. You're going to tell them, I mean, and yes, you knew. And and that's, I, I believe, is one of strongest regrets is, I, I well, I, I feel like maybe I should have warned you about that. But I also felt like I didn't want you to know limits. Mm. We know that the world was going to be cold and we knew that the world was going to be mean. We knew that, you know, and that's why I said these are character building exercises when things got rough when things got hard these are these are character building exercises and you have to get this mm. it's like you know oh god I, I often wonder i'm like god did i break them lord did i break them jesus lord i did the best i could it was like whoa you know i i wanted to make sure that sometimes it was just raw truth sometimes some of that stuff just came out the way it was and it just had to but there were also sometimes where I felt like mm-hmm. th- this is a learning moment. And sometimes these things would kill me because I did not want to see you have to go through them. Mm-hmm. So I would almost even say that I sheltered you a lot. I I did because of the, the fact that uh, I didn't. I didn't want you to ever believe that you had limits to anything. You could literally do anything that you want to. And as long as you know that you can do whatever you want to do, then you'd always have that in your mind. That would always be your motivation. And how dare you tell me that I can't? It's funny because there's sometimes where like you just give me like this brutal, not brutal truth, but like just it's just this raw honesty, this raw truth. I think looking back on it, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like, why was that the why was that the thing that was so hard? Because you talked to us about all kinds of stuff. You talked to us about drugs, sex, just all of, like these raw details. But this one was really hard. I, I've just seen a lot. I mean, I, I, the, the things that I've seen, and I mean, you would hope that the world changes from that, and almost a little naive because you hope that if you raise your children a certain way, and that that cup would pass over them. Mm. You do not want to leave them ignorant, so there are lessons that have to be learned to keep you safe at all times so that you can come home. Mm-hmm. But it was, I didn't, I hoped that you would never have to endure those things. That was my hope, mm-hmm. that you would never have to endure those things. I was, I, I, I would, I mean, I knew that they still existed, but I hoped, I can't say, yeah. It's a hard one, son. To be honest, I think that's why I, I go to the I go to the protest. Just thinking back on on my whole life, like I didn't tell you this. I, I don't think I've ever told you this. But the, the just there's been so many times where it's just been like this passive racism that was just like mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. wrong. It was just mm-hmm. 
so wrong. Like, I've had very, very few interactions with the police. Like, I've just, like, avoided the police like the plague. Mm-hmm. You know, like, if there's an absolute emergency, you can. But, like, that was, like, last resort. Mm-hmm. But there's just been, like, from teachers to, like, mm-hmm. people that I've come in contact with to being followed in a store to, like, just all kinds of stuff. Like, there was one time I was in summer school, and you know how much I, like, love school. Mm-hmm. And I was in summer school. Nerd. You've been a geek all your life. I'm not kidding. <laughs> a nerd all your oh, life. Man. But like the <laughs> freaking mom just called me a nerd. Uh, this is my show. <laughs> but uh, what I don't remember what grade it was. I think it had to be like third or fourth grade. And it was about the time where like to like make the connection that my last name, if you say it a certain way, it sounds like dumbass. And they just kept calling me dumbass, dumbass, dumbass. But I spelt my last name D-U-M-A-S-S. Hmm. And the teacher was going around checking the, the name tags. And she looked at mine and she said, did you do this? I said, yeah. But like, she didn't ask what happened. She didn't ask, like, what was going on. She didn't, I don't even think she really knew my last name. No. At lunch, I got moved to another summer class. And I was in that summer class the whole time. I did not learn anything. I didn't, I didn't get, we didn't get taught anything. I literally weaved baskets for the rest of summer school. And I remember I'm like, I'm trying to get like ahead. Like I'm trying to learn. I want to be yeah. here processing that in college. Wait a minute. That white teacher saw this black kid and he wrote like a bad word and they didn't even like try and figure out like what was going on. No. All right, y'all. Racial inequality in schools is a real problem. Black males make up a disproportionate percentage of students who are in special education, alternative schools and remedial classes. Black students are three times more likely to be suspended or expelled than white students. In fact, a study from the 2013-2014 Civil Rights Data Collection documented that black students, who make up only 16% of enrollment, accounted for 40% of suspensions nationally. This is due to a wide variety of reasons, biases from both teachers and police, overcrowded schools, lack of adequate school funding, poor legislative policies that create external negative forces impacting students in marginalized communities. The list goes on. That's just like the passive racism that I see. And to me, like, although I haven't experienced the police brutality, I have seen it. Mm-hmm. I've lived it. Yes, I know. I've, I've seen it happen to you. And I'm, it, like, I'm just saying I've, I've lived yeah. it because my life before this life was just full of chaos. But that's the reason why I go to these protests. Like, that's the reason. Like, kids should not kids should not go through the things that I went through in school. There shouldn't be, like, a, a separate handbook on how to treat black people who are just trying to live their lives. And if they do do a crime, they should, they should go to jail. Like, there shouldn't they be shouldn't any be additional stuff. And so, like, I'm just so angry and frustrated and, and, and sad and just, like, like, this shit has to fucking stop. Like, it just, like, this has to stop. The fact that I can hear stories from Papa of him being profiled in the middle of Sunset Boulevard with a gun to the back of his head, face down with, like, cops surrounding him because they think he's somebody else 50, 60 years ago. Like, why is that shit still happening? Like, it, it shouldn't be happening. And then we, we see uh, somebody die. I couldn't even watch. I only could watch, like, five seconds into it because I couldn't get... Past it, I just know I knew the end of that story, and so like to me, like that's why I keep going to these protests. That's to me why I'm on Instagram posting all this stuff, battling folks on Instagram. That's to me why I go to these conferences and share this stuff, trying to convince people that this shit needs to stop and having passive conversations and having intentional conversations, almost like radicalizing almost any person that me and Lynn's come in contact with, that this shit needs to stop. Like this is a problem. I just, I, I gotta show up. Like, I can't not show up. Like, I can't not show up. I have been also sharing with my dear brothers and sisters and my young ones and also you, son, that there are levels to this shit. And we have got to know that there are levels to it. Not everyone is meant to be on the front line. You cannot always show your hand. Somebody has got to be uh, 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 the, the next in line. Because when everybody else in the front lines, I mean, we, we always need that backup. Mm-hmm. 
I know that we want to support, but you know, another, another fear of mine, cause I, I have to go back. Another fear with, of mine, you know, one of the rules at, at school in your high school, because you know, the high school that you went to had such a bad reputation. Never go around big or large crowds. Yeah. Stay away from large crowds because there's nothing good happening in the middle of that large crowd. Mm-hmm. How often was that true? Quite often, I mean, there was a, a race brawl that happened my junior year, I think. Yes. Yeah. It was like 50 people. It was crazy. Never. There's nothing good going on. What are they doing? Dance battles? They don't do that no more. This isn't the 80s. There's always something bad. Stay away from that large crowd. Because not only that, but then the first person that I know that they were going to pick out immediately was going to be your fault. You didn't have anything to do with it. But because you were there, guess who was getting picked out? So it's like all those little small lessons or, or things that I would tell you. There was a reason behind it. I know that you guys never understood why I was telling you those things. And I was hoping that I would never have to explain them to you as directly. Mm-hmm. But I, there were certain things and certain reasons why I would say them. You know, be careful. Stay away from those large crowds. If you see this going on, please walk the other way. D- d- we're not here at this particular moment to be a hero. What we're doing is you're going to go home. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yes, but it is very, very important for you to know your rights. You have to know your rights. This has been such a bumpy ride. This has been traumatic for every black person across the world Mm -hmm. to be the most hated race for no I mean honey I don't care where you go if you go to Egypt nobody wants to be black if you go to Belize nobody wants to be black you can go to any country and they all want the black culture Mm -hmm. but they do not want that black skin and everybody's patriotic until there's some blue lights behind them so every little thing that I told you, it was in the same vein. Yeah. Son, be careful because of this. Son, be careful because of that. Please be mindful of your surroundings. Always pay attention to this, that, and the other. And I know you guys thought I was crazy. But there was always a reason behind it. Because I've seen the world. Mm-hmm. And again, like I said, I, I did. I, I truly believe that I, I you guys were sheltered. From from a lot. But I believe that I, I, to me, it was doing in doing the right thing because I never wanted you to know that there were ever any limits or boundaries or anything that you could not do. And I, I was I refuse to allow you to walk out of that door, believing in your heart that. Number one, there was no love at home because there was an abundance. We may not have had food. We may not have had water. We may not have had electricity. But you know you who you could run to. You know exactly where you could run. Times were not always great. I have made some stupid mistakes along the way. but I, And just pray, Lord, I hope I didn't break them. Because parenting doesn't come with a handbook. It doesn't come. It doesn't tell you how to do it. And I don't care how old you are. There's no perfect way to do this. We do the best that we can. We, in, we instill in them the, the right, wrong, that whatever in life is thrown at you, you can get through it. You are more than an overcomer. I encourage you, raise you up and... Come on, son, you can do it. Yes, you're going to be a lawyer. Yes, you're going to do this. And yes, you know, every every single day, I, I wanted to make sure that I was your biggest cheerleader because the obstacles that you had in the world were shit. I hated to send you guys to school every day because I knew what was out there. I knew what was out there. You have no idea some days. I, I just, I, because I knew what was out there. I don't need to break down everything yeah. that 2020 has been. Yeah. Some days I am hopeful. Some days I'm hopeless. Some days I, I don't see that light. So how do we stay hopeful? 
Son, I, I got to tell you this. That it's okay not to be okay. Mm -hmm. You said that to me. I mean, because it, I, because I have this thing where I am like absolutely ridiculously optimistic. You told me that, Mom, it's okay to not be okay. This particular subject and this particular life that we're living, because this is life. It's okay for us not to be okay about this. We're not supposed to be okay about this. We're, we, there's, there's no way that we can be okay with this. This right here. These conversations that we have. The conversations that we have because, son, not everybody knows. Not everybody understands. And if you have that gift and that ability and that um, platform to be able to share those things with people, that's what they need to hear. You have to, you know, be open to, to listen to these things, even though they get quite difficult. Be able to process it. Data dump what's not necessary. But you have to keep going. There's no stopping. There's no retreat like um, the snowball fight, but we won't go there. I, I called retreat. First of all, of you time. left your little, we plenty tore your little advance. brother up in that plenty snow fight. Of it was, I'm just going to let he you He wasn't know. paying attention. Was the battle was lost. <laughs> <laughs> I stand by my decision. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> stand by my decision. You have to remember the the ones that were lost always make sure that they're in ever presence. They should be almost a catalyst. They should almost push you and elevate you to the next level. You cannot always fight these battles like that. Sometimes you have to PhD it. Sometimes getting them back or getting even or this, that, or the other is not fighting how they want you to fight because they want you to fight like that. Not everybody can go out there and, and do that. Sometimes that's not our role because it, this is going to get worse before it gets better. They're going to make it and try to dumb it down as though, you know, oh yeah, the protests and everything have stopped. But this is still going on. This cannot go away. It will never go away since we arrived here in the United States. This has been going on. You have to keep going. There's no easy way for me to try to say, I mean, baby, I, I, I can't even process this myself. I mean, I'm, I'm devastated that this is happening in 2020. It's hard, baby. I worried about you guys emotionally. This is heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. But I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Me too. <sighs> okay. Well, thanks for doing this with me, Mom. Appreciate it. Maybe you know this is my favorite time. <laughs> All right, and that's my mom. I know we unpacked a lot in this episode, um, but hopefully y'all were able to see how incredible my mom is and why I have this just huge amount of respect for her. Y'all, there is so much we did not dive into, but let me tell you, my mom has been through so much, just so, so much, but she still remains this beautiful, awesome person. Her determination and commitment to my brothers and me are inspiring. You know, as a future parent, that's what I aspire to. Like, I want to be that. Just this undying commitment to my kids and, you know, their significant others. Like, I want to be able to do that and kind of continue that light in the world. The other thing that struck me is the fear that she talked about. Probably not directly, but she definitely hinted at it. 
And it, it seemed like it was this consistent fear and the thoughts that come to her mind when she doesn't hear from us for a long time. Or even when we go for a visit and we leave her house. I'm 28 years old and my mom still asked if I have my ID. I'm not a parent yet, but I can't imagine living with that kind of fear. Not the normal concerns of harm that most parents have, but of racism. The emotional, psychological, and physical harms that racism can have. How do you communicate that to your children? How do you share with them that no matter what you do, there are going to be people that just don't like you for reasons that are completely out of your control? How do you protect them from that harm? I don't know. I don't know how my mom does it. <laughs> I don't know how parents of black children do it. I just don't know. I can't string together the right words to tell y'all how incredibly courageous I have seen my mom be. And I cannot thank her enough for being my mom. But I think I will start with the promise I made when I was five years old. I think I got to buy her a Range Rover. Maybe that'll do it. This podcast was produced by myself, Jonathan Dumas, with music by the oh-so-talented Mr. Tony Deras. And if you like what you heard, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't already, you can go ahead and follow me on Instagram. Reach out to me on Instagram. Would love, love, love to hear from you. It's RTWD Podcast. That's RTWD Podcast on Instagram. Till next time, y'all. Peace.